Episode 43. What's up, everybody? I'm back in Annie's room. Today's episode, as you saw in the title, is called Pile of Sadness. So I chose that title because um, it sort of goes into what I talked about a couple times and in the previous one for sure. I've talked about having my people and I've talked about um, my job situation over the past few years and how the whack has sort of gotten me back to where I feel like I, I need to be and where I'm I'm best at. So we're on this um, whack manager's trip last week to Western Racquet Club in Green Bay. And we've got a party bus, like a legit party bus with, you know, strobe lights and I think there was a pole in there somewhere. But anyway, it was like a real party bus you rent. And there's about, I don't know, a dozen of us, all the managers from the WAC. And it's cool. And we had a good time. And we've got lunch. And we're driving home. And shortly after we left and are on our way, our GM, Ann, gets out a couple bottles of champagne and has a big announcement. And I'm thinking it's going to be something super positive And um, somebody... Did something cool, won an award, I don't know, getting married, whatever. And so she announces that my friend Shannon, who was on this podcast, one of my first non family guests, she might have been my first non family guest, probably episode 10 to 20, somewhere in there. Anyway, announces that my friend Shannon, and I'm still mad at you, is leaving. And taking the general manager position at the West Alice WAC location. And I had no idea. I must have just been the clueless guy at work for a few weeks while this was all going on. I knew the job was open. Um, did not know Shannon was trying to get it. And it hit me oddly hard while we're in this sort of fun, got a day sort of off of work situation and I spent like an hour in the corner of this party bus kind of sulking I guess and leaning against the wall and not talking to anyone because it shocked me and I didn't know and since I've been there she's probably the first one that um, is leaving that I worked with first like I said did my podcast we hang out a lot she puts up with my stupid conversations um and has become my people and in many podcasts I've talked about my people so I just thought it was it was interesting how much it affected me right then not knowing and I've only been you know I've only been full-time at the WAC now for months but how um you see each other every day and work with people and they become your people and when one of them leaves, it it hit me. And so we were joking today in the office about how I sort of fell apart on the on the van. And I think I told her that I spent some time in a pile of sadness in the in the party bus. So um, I'll move on. But anyway, Shannon, you're gonna crush it. Um, they don't know what they're getting over there. It's gonna be awesome, and you are the right person for the job. So if you uh, if you're a WAC member, check out the West Alice site 
in a few weeks when Shannon gets over there. But that is why it's called Pile of Sadness, because one of my people is leaving. And uh, I was bummed. Still am. But I'm going to... I'm going to try to move on. So anyway, congrats, Shannon. No one else can leave, by the way. If there's any other employees at the WAC that listen to this, you are not allowed. Only one. So I'll get through my my quick stuff. Um, if you are a listener to this and you listen on Spotify, I'm trying something new. They've got this new option that after connected to each podcast, I can have a question. I can put a poll up, those types of things. So if you're on Spotify and you see I've posted one, or you're scrolling through, check out any of the questions I have. I'm just kind of messing with it, based on, you know, questions based on what the podcast is about. So check that out and do all that fun stuff where you can like like stuff and retweet posts and all those hashtags, <laughs> all those types of things. But check that out if you're on Spotify. I sort of want to see if anybody if it actually works. Um, so I'll have something posted about this one as well. And uh, I got a bunch of rando stuff, and then we'll it'll sort of, like it usually does, goes into my usual tennis stuff. So if you watch golf, I do. There's this guy, his name's Michael Block, and hopefully you all saw it. He's a PGA club professional. He's basically the tennis version, or the golf version of what I do, and what a lot of my friends and colleagues do he's at a club he's teaching lessons he's running events he's programming all those types of things and he's also still a apparently now world-class golfer he was able to qualify for the pga tournament in new york and he had an amazing finish and this is a guy who again two weeks ago a week ago was teaching private lessons at his club and now he's on national TV in front of millions of people and he got a hole in one on the 15th hole I believe and finishes the top PGA Club Pro 15th made almost $300,000 and he's just a guy like me and all the people I've worked with over the years and now he's gotten into he's been asked to come to other tournaments he's been asked to be on TV he's doing it all seems like a really good dude great story so if you haven't seen it just google it because it's really cool he seems to be he's really good with his interviews haven't heard him say a single thing that would lead me to believe I don't like him but it got me thinking about are there any other sports where a person who's gone into coaching can still succeed in playing so his story would be similar to if I was somehow able to play my way into the U.S. Open and probably he finished 15th, I make it to, well, the round of 16. It's impossible. I can't think of another sport where you go into the coaching world and you can still play it and make a living and do well at it. And I I just think that's really cool about golf that Guys like that can do the grind and still make it, still have that that hope that they can make it through that. I thought maybe bowling, just because it doesn't require a tremendous amount of physical fitness to be maintained, probably practice. I thought maybe that would be one, or 
um, I don't know, darts, <laughs> axe throwing, something. But it's a great story. Look it up, Michael Block. And um, he is playing in a big tournament in Texas this weekend as well. But really cool. The crowd was great. And he was gracious and said all the right stuff. So I'm guessing he doesn't have to shop at Costco. I might have mentioned last time, I officially have a Costco membership. And I think it's it's life-changing to our our family. You can get a hot dog and a Coke for a dollar fifty nine and it's not us it's a full like it's a big hot dog for a dollar fifty nine and a Pepsi and I can refill it any way I want. All sodas are fifty nine cents. There's free samples. All the food is cheap. How are people not members of Costco? I should get I should get paid for this. I'm gonna tag Costco in this, but anyway, if you're not a Costco member, go get one. We did it to get a discount on a rental car for our upcoming trip. But we go there for lunch now, just for a snack. You want to get a drink? Yeah, let's go to Costco. It's 59 cents, and you can wander around and people watch. So that's my Costco experience. Another thing I saw this week is that, and I actually did a little Googling, 50%, this is a report that came out, 50% of all internet activity is now done by bots. That's kind of the headline. Um, This tech company released its annual bad bot report, which revealed that nearly 50% of all internet traffic originated from bots last year. I don't understand it. Is someone, is there like companies that are creating bots? Are they really like robots with robot arms? And like, I don't understand. And it also says that the report also said that human traffic on the internet reached its lowest level in eight years so half the internet is just it says automated software applications capable of causing harm abuse and launching attacks are 50 percent of the internet i think that's freaking scary how do we get rid of that Is it possible? I'm going to invent something that kills all the robots. (laughs) There's probably a movie about that, but I'm going to take care of it. But I just thought that was crazy that that half of what goes on on the internet is robots and software. And um, it's not always, it's not people. I guess it's why we get in all kinds of trouble. But uh, if any of you are in that business... I'm curious, how does that work? If I wanted to make a robot that could troll the internet for me, is that possible? I want a robot that can search out other tennis websites that promise things they cannot deliver and make you pay for them. So I want someone that searches out that that site that says, instantly fix your forehand. And one minute to the greatest serve ever and add 30 miles an hour to your serve in 17 seconds. That's what I want. I want a tennis bot that takes care of those things and, and gets finds them and destroys them. Um, what else I want to destroy is lawn care. This time of year, seems like everybody's out working on their lawns. I see neighbors that are out and they're out like on their hands and knees with like knee pads and gloves and equipment and they're picking 
what looks to be like individual weeds and branches and whatever out of their lawns. And I can't grasp why someone would think that was important in there to spend their time. I don't understand it. I'm trying not to judge them because everybody has their stuff, but I don't. I mow, I trim, I'm done. I don't plant anything. I don't grow anything. I actually wish my yard was rocks. I hate it. I don't even like mowing. I think a cool lawn is awesome. It looks good. I enjoy looking at the lawn, but I want nothing to do with it. I can't figure out why people care so much about something they know that in a few months it's all going to die and get covered in snow and grossness. So if you're one of those people that loves their lawn and makes it look pretty, where did that come from? Did you grow up with it? Did you have parents who were um, yard, yard masters and landscapers? I didn't. I remember my dad mowing, and then eventually I think I helped mow. But my mom's a flower planter. Shout out to my mom. If you ever see her house in the front of their house at their entry by the driveway is this massive flower bed collection thing that she works a ton on. And it looks awesome, and I enjoy participating in its beauty. (laughs) But I would not want to spend one second planting a flower so my question is not that you're all bad people. Where's that come from? What what makes that? I want to sit in the yard and smoke a cigar, but I don't want to grow things in the yard. And I guess is it is it how you grew up? Is it culture? Is it stress, like pressure from your neighbors? Fortunately, my neighbors all have, similar to me, we mow, keep it looking decent, but a few that are like out there all the time. Um... So I'm just curious where that comes from because I have zero desire in my life to do that. What I do have a desire to do is find someone who can tell me when shopping carts at grocery stores became, um, well, robots. We'll bring it back to robots. So I'm at Pick and Save on Sunday doing my weekly grocery trip. I get my stuff. I do self-checkout because I don't want to interact with humans in any way outside of my house or work. So I'm pushing the cart out. I got, you know, some groceries. And all of a sudden I get out the door and my cart stops. The front wheels just jam. And I slam my shin into the back of the bottom of the cart. I'm like, what happened? So I thought, you know, hit a rock, something's got stuck, whatever. So I push it again. It won't move. And I'm looking around. There's nothing there. It's it's locked. The wheels are locked. And then the cart, the... The staff member who was at working the self-checkout comes over and he's got this little, almost like a little handheld, if you remember like Palm Pilot from 1995, this little handheld thing, and he zaps it at the wheels of my cart and it unlocks the wheels and I get to go on. And I had no idea they had that thing, the ability. I, get, I assume after looking at it, it's for theft. So I've looked it up, and now many grocery stores have this system. It's a underground wire that carries these electrical pulses, kind of like um, I read it and thought it's kind of like a electric fence for for dogs or or cats that you'd have, and they get to it, and it it gives them a little shock. Well, what this does is you cross this line, and it 
stops your wheels. So you can't steal the cart. You can't fill it up and take off without picking up the whole thing. And it freaked me out that they had that much power. But apparently my cart, when it crossed the thing, didn't disengage. And I about had a crash. And I looked silly. I thought I was, there were people behind me. And um, I had I had no idea. And I read about it that the way to get past that is to lift the cart up all four wheels because it has to be on the ground for this to stop it. So the way to steal them now is to lift the entire cart up. Incredible Hulk style is what this says. Has anybody messed with that? Anybody had that yet? I also learned that the average shopping cart costs $560. And so that's why it's worth the cost for them to install these systems on the wheels. Um, but it was weird. I, d- I didn't like it. It bothered me. Okay, almost done. My uh, my book review, my buddy, well, I don't know if he's a buddy after our conversations about LeBron and Michael Jordan this week, but um, my college tennis coach, Coach Ron Flamer Albers, who's been on this podcast, I think, twice with me maybe once he got me I think kind of as a joke but he got me a new book out um, about LeBron James and if you've heard me talk before you know I believe Michael Jordan is the greatest always will be you can't win that argument with me even if you win the argument you won't win it I grew up with him he won every time six for six yeah take that flamer Um, anyway I read LeBron's book really good I am definitely have a different attitude towards him than I did before from what he's done. He has become an incredible business person, created a billion dollar business all about himself and surrounded himself with smart people. And it's it's a really good insight to where he came from. Still doesn't change who I think is better, but he talks about his friendship with Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. And one of the paragraphs in there is how Bill Gates believed that the thing that you did excessively between the ages of 13 and 18 was the thing that you had the most chance of being highly successful at. Bill Gates, at that age, was focusing on computer software. And Warren Buffett, during that time, was focusing on finances and the and money in the financial world. And I just thought that was super interesting, especially for myself, between the ages of 13 and 18, I was a tennis player. That's it. That's all I did. It's what I focused on. Everything about me was probably geared towards that. So I was kind of a nerd. It was all about that. How was I going to improve, get better? Almost all geared toward high school season. That was bigger than me than tournaments or anything else. And I just thought that was a really cool thing. That That's something that one of the smartest most successful people on the planet, Bill Gates, thinks that you can figure out what you're going to be successful at between those ages. And I used to primarily teach kids between 13 and 18 and got me thinking, I wonder how many now that are older and have their own kids are doing the thing that they obsessed about or did a lot of during those ages. And if you're listening Does that apply to you? Is your career something you were doing during those ages? I mean, I don't know Bill Gates. He may be full of crap. 
it's not like he's that successful or built or created anything. So not sure I should really listen to him. And I will listen to a guy named Seinfeld. One of the all-time favorite shows. I talked about The Office and Ted Lasso last week. Seinfeld's a no-brainer. I can watch it every time. So I saw an interview with Jerry Seinfeld. I don't know if it was recent or um, old, but he was doing an interview, and, and the person asked him how they could end the show after 11 straight years of being number one in the country. It was the number one TV show for 11 straight years. And he talked about how he had built this relationship with millions of people and the show had and he wanted to make sure he left with that relationship being on being strong he wanted to make sure they left on top and not have it drop and he talked about as a comedian if you watch a live comedian that comedian may be great funniest stuff you've ever heard for an hour and 10 minutes. But when you get to an hour and 40 minutes, you're ready to walk out the door and he's not that funny anymore. And he was sort of referencing leaving people, let them, let them leave when they're at the top and they're happy and um, how things can drop off. And the reason I bring it up, and if you're on my Instagram or Facebook, I actually put a picture of it. I wrote this on this big dry erase board that I use. And the reason I wrote it is because I teach quite a few classes now that are just an hour. And our club is generally, they're used to and trained hour and a half classes. And I actually have half hour classes now. If you want to come to them, Mondays and Wednesdays, I teach serves for 30 minutes. It's good for everybody. That's my plug. I should get paid for that too. So anyway, I've had some requests from a lot of people. Um, if I could extend the hour classes to an hour and a half. And my thought has always been they're very successful at an hour. When we get done, I think a lot of the players actually want more. And we've gotten through the lesson plan. We've done what we're supposed to do. Hopefully we did it well. Let's get out of here on top. My fear as a coach is I've got a great plan for an hour. Let's say I get to an hour and 15 minutes and that plan is over. I've got 15 minutes to kill. And that is where I get myself into trouble. Start making things up. I look at the clock and sort of randomly start feeding balls and let's do this and this and this. And it gets a little a little bit random more than I usually am. And hearing Seinfeld talk about it, that it... it made it made me even more confident that's the right choice for what I do and as a player think about that you may you may be able to get a great practice in at 45 minutes there's no harm in stopping you accomplished what you needed to accomplish you did it well let's get out of here you did it right instead of just practicing for practice sake and it's not focused anymore so I do a group called Shot of the Week. It actually started at Moreland thing almost 20 years ago. It was Thursday mornings, um, I think 10 to 11. 
ten thirty, eleven thirty, somewhere in there, and it was super popular. Had multiple coaches and um, our regulars, and then people that would pop in and out. And it was probably my most popular program. And I always got asked, "Can you make this? Can you make this a little longer? Can we go an hour and a half?" And for my fifteen years there, I never did it because I was sort of terrified that I it was going to drop, and people would walk out the door thinking, "Ah, that was okay." But an hour, they think it's great. As you play, if you're if you got your work done in a great in a good amount of time, don't be afraid to walk away. Right? I know if you're in a drill, you're gonna keep going. But if you're playing a match, you're just working out with a friend, hey, I want to work on some forehands, some backhands, maybe some overheads. You get all three done, you feel good about it, let's go. We did it. Short, sweet, get the job done. I've always worked at places that if the job gets done, you can do whatever schedule you want. Just make sure the work gets done. Um, so I just thought it was it was interesting, and it was interesting enough for me to write that down on my big board and talk about it for probably far too long. Um, so this one, um, getting into the tennis a little bit, is so every every day I go into work, and those that listen to this will or work with me, especially. I go into my our, our office where everybody's at, put my stuff away, and I go to the front, the lobby, and I get myself a cup of coffee. And if my dad's listening, I've become you. Isn't it? This is one of the things I've definitely become my dad. I get my cup of coffee, and I wander around. I go to the front desk, see who's working, say hello, Maybe stop in and say hi to the membership, Kyle, Sarah, John, see what's happening, who's playing. I like to look at the courts and see who's playing, what are they doing, do I know anybody. Um, I spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just kind of wandering, chatting, um, getting the vibe of the day before I do anything. Unless, and obviously, if I'm in a hurry, I have to jump on court, yes, but I like that time to kind of chill out. Um, I think the kids call it vibing. Is that, is that still a thing? I, I don't think I said it right. But I, that's how I operate. And I've realized this week that that's also how I teach. If you take any groups with me, you know I start slow. We build up. I always tell you, I don't care what you do in the first 10 minutes. I care how you do what you do in the last 10. And I look around and that, that coffee time is me kind of prioritizing what's important right now. What's the first thing I need to do? Is it return a phone call? Is it return an email? Check the schedule? Book some lessons? Whatever that is. And I, I sort of um, find my groove as we go. What pace am I going to go at? And then eventually, usually the big moment is hitting the courts. That's where my day kind of starts is let's let's get after it. And I've started teaching like that. So as you're playing, it's okay if you screw up the first shot or the second shot or the seventh shot. Take the first few and just are you seeing some questions I think you can ask is are you seeing the ball well? Is it is it coming into your strings? Are you locating it? Solid hits, middle of the strings. Does it sound right? Um, am I am I feeling feeling good about my locations, my spins, my speeds. Does anything hurt physically? You got a knee, a shoulder, ankle, whatever, anything bothering you and work through all those things in those initial few minutes of a match. 
a, a drill, a class, a lesson. It's okay to work through those and have that cup of cup of coffee. If you're playing doubles, after all that, you're you're good. You got yourself taken care of. Talk to your partner. Hey, you good? Anything you're struggling with? You need to hit a few more. They're good. Now we get into the strategy. What are we going to do in this match? What kind of players are they? We're taken care of. What do they do? Well, what are we? What kind of game plan are we going to put together? Um, so I did a, an experiment with a a group on Monday night. I had to play in, which helps me in this situation. And I just simply asked them to count in the, from the beginning, from our first ball through when I decided we were ready to compete. How many successful shots landed in the court? From the warm-up, we started half-court, hit a couple volleys, we moved back, we went down the line, we went cross-court. So the first round, their numbers were 56 successful shots for one, 61 for another, 49 for another, and 58 was mine. Successful shots in the first 10 minutes. They could not remember their errors, but the most we got up to looking back was four. I had zero. I didn't miss a shot. I was smoking it. Right, but I was also super casual. It was my coffee time, but I think one thought they had about two mistakes. One was at four. The other was, I think, at three. So I asked them. So you've got a lot of credit, right? Between the four of us, we were over two hundred successful shots and less than ten errors just in the warm up. Think about those numbers. Wouldn't you take that in a match? You're going to win every single time, right? And. That was our theme to get them to understand that it's okay. We're going to build up. And the last thing we did in that hour was start a match, keep score, call them out if they're out, like real tennis. And it was our best portion of that hour. Their last 10 minutes was really good. Very, very low errors, good decisions. And I sort of apologized because they didn't sweat that much. It was not a typical drill where you're running and leaping and twirling and it's all about exercise. It was about quality and their quality was great. The other thing we looked, the teaching cart was still over half full at the end of this hour. And it's usually empty by the end. Half full because they were so focused on the, the quality shots that I didn't have to keep running back to the basket and starting over and feeding balls. And we didn't miss a lot of first balls. And I'm going to give you all a challenge. Next time you play, start, take your first, say, 10 minutes and just count every time a ball lands in. Just for you, not your not your hitting partner, just you. Every time you hit a successful shot that goes over the net, lands in the blue, that's one. If you're really good with math, track your unforced errors. Not forced, just ones that you shouldn't have missed. Bad screw-ups. And I would guarantee you your numbers are going to be through the roof. They're going to be awesome. Because you've got to focus on just hitting quality shots and not competing. It's just a great way to um, monitor those things early. So I'd say have your cup of coffee during that match and just chill out. See what's happening. So, Dad, you're probably listening to this because I think you and Mom are my only two listeners. Um, I, I said that I'm like you because I think you'd be the guy that would be at South Shore or Moreland or any club, the Y. You'd be the guy with the cup of coffee, hanging around, talking to people, um, 
just kind of seeing what's happening and probably eventually end up working out or someone would ask you to play and that's kind of what you do and I think it's why probably why I do it now even though I don't like people at all I've become that and uh anyway I just thought it was a really interesting thing that my my coaching has become I've done it for so long it's become it's sort of melded is melded a word melded molded god I don't know you guys can google it but it's uh, I've started to teach who I am the problem is that there's people who don't like me and who I am they are not gonna like spending time on court with me so I hope you like me but if you don't I'll be okay um so moving on to a bit of pickleball I got I got the chance to play pickleball this week uh Saturday morning I had to play with with Tim Ray Lee and our our buddy Paul whack employees um and we got to play outside at Shannon's new place at West Dallas. It's got six great courts. And um, I really hadn't played a lot of pickleball. I really like teaching, but I don't play that much. I don't, I'm not that, and in, in, I don't compete much in anything anymore. And I was talking, it was a lot of fun. It was sunny and blue skies, and um, it was a little too windy for my skills to really shine. But it was a great situation with people I really like. But I realized that for me, pickleball just can't get me to the competitive mindset that I used to get to with other things. I used to be a incredibly competitive person. I had to win. I didn't have to win. I had to know who was winning. It didn't matter. Didn't matter if I won or lost. But I had to keep score. I just needed to know. I like results. And so I've I've always been that way. If if um, somebody, if my wife wants to go on a walk, I'm better now. But I would want to know what's where's the finish line, how fast are we going, and can we race? Like that's where my mind used to go. I'm better, better now. But it was board games. It was you name it. Uh, Madden football on the PlayStation. I, I you know I'd get I'd get a little crazy about that stuff. I realized that pickleball, even when I'm playing with competitive, all three good players, highly competitive pickleball, it didn't get me there. It didn't get me to a point. I, I treated it as fun, casual, um, didn't find that thing that I used to have. And I think I would still find it on a tennis court. Um, but pickleball to me is still, it's, bowling it's one of those things you might go you know you might go do like i hit uh lux golf you go to those golf bays and hit balls and win points and that's fun but there's no the competitiveness doesn't do anything for me and pickleball has it didn't have it for me and i'm wondering why not what's what's with that sport that doesn't get there for for me or even for for maybe it's just tennis players we have a i consider myself a tennis player and not a pickler so it's my fun sport i think the others i know paul and tim were getting after it they can they're as competitive as i am if not more um but i never found it no matter what i was probably annoying cracking jokes i talked a lot of trash didn't back it up at all but that's where i was it was just fun with my friends and i don't think of it as competitive Although 
many people do, and I love teaching it. I also enjoyed playing it, but something about it doesn't feel like a a real thing for me to get me fired up. And I don't know what that means. Maybe I'm just older and have lost that, but I don't think so. I think if I went on a tennis court with somebody, I'd find a reason to crank it up and, and try to go full blast. But um, pickleball doesn't seem to be the thing for me. So um, lastly, thanks to a lot of you reached out with some good California tips. Um, Sean, we're going to have that coffee before we leave. Sean's going to be my uh, maybe my trip planner. Uh, we need to do that. But it looks like we're making that drive June 7th. We're going to head out and go see go see Annie's life in L.A. But if you've got any more good tips of places to stop, um, I am going to stop at the I-80 world's largest truck stop in Iowa. I've been there once a long time ago, but I want to take, uh, I want to take the kids and the family and see that. So other than that, we're going to try to see some cool stuff and, uh, try to survive that trip in a few weeks. Um, lastly, if you're a listener, uh, like I mentioned, Spotify, you can also follow some things and find it on Instagram um, Scott Fix Tennis and Pickleball on Facebook, all the usual stuff. I'd love to hear from you. So I guess until next time, that's all I got. Talk to you all later. <laughs>